Northern Brewer is the proud sponsor of the Brewing Network's Jameel Show. They have the widest selection of domestic and imported malts and grain, hops from all over the world, and a full line of liquid and dry yeast. No matter what style of beer you're brewing, Northern Brewer has the ingredients you need, plus fast shipping and expert staff to help you make the best beer possible. Please visit northernbrewer.com for all things homebrew. is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew, ordinary homebrew. into award-winning beer. Winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Hey, howdy, hey, Bruin brothers and sisters. I am the Doppelbuck. <laughs> that coffee's kicking in. Yes. <laughs> I am the Doppelbuck. Yes? What does that mean? I'm your, I'm your goat. I'm your goat. You're my goat. I'm your... With bacon. My goat. <laughs> my goat, my goat. Yes. I like how the guidelines, they say it, this... Beer always has Ator at the finish, like the name of the beer, Ator. So I was thinking of mm-hmm. name my Doppelbach, California Ator. <laughs> what do you think? California Ator. 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 So it's like Spotten Optimator. Optimator. Celebrator. Uh, you know. Ator. Ator. Yeah. So, so it would be California Ator. California Ator. Yeah, there's plenty of California Aters out there. <laughs> Aters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plenty. They're mostly live in other states, but it's quite a few of them right here in California. Right. Right. I am. Yes. Uh, oh, that, that was that just like totally threw me off the <laughs> off the rails. Now I'm. <laughs> I can't remember a thing I was going to say. I had this whole thing about how I was drinking uh, various uh, German uh, Doppelbox that. Uh, I had never seen before, and like Ooh. none of them ended in Ader, you know, or Ader or Tor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, during like the uh, Pro Bowl, and I was like, okay, and I had to work, and I'm like working, and and uh, and uh, you were kind of watching the Pro Bowl over my shoulder, and uh, drinking <laughs> Doppelbox, a couple of really good ones that uh, I didn't see in the guidelines. Back to back, you like how many Doppelbox? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I woke up in the morning and uh, no, um, no, I, I just had a couple of really good ones. I was I was very pleasing. And, and and here's the thing. See, I'm starting off with like here's the thing. This must be a really good show. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, Doppelbox, you know, seven point two percent. You know, they're not ten percent alcohol beers. They're not rocket fuel like a lot of homebrewers are brewing them. Right. They're, you know, low sevens. That's Doppelbach. You know, 10-something is, you know... Imperial Doppelbach? Homebrewer. Homebrewer. Doppelbach. Yeah. How big can I make this? Well, it's just... It's one of the most frustrating styles because, 
you know, people go, oh, yeah, it's going to be, you know, big at alcohol. And I was judging at uh, one of the nationals, and uh, these guys were, you know, there's like, well, no, you know, there's none of alcohol. And I'm like, you know, it's like rocket fuel. It's burning me. It's, you know, lighter <laughs> fluid. Wow. Like, no, 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 that's it. That's how it needs to be. to be. It's supposed to be, like, have a burning alcohol in it. You're like, like bullshit. I mean, why? Why are you sitting here? Oh no, no, it's gotta, it's gotta have you know a lot of alcohol. That's that's what I'm like. No, 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 no. You know, it's gonna be much lower. You know, much, much lower. And uh, and I, you know, I don't normally uh, do this, but uh, you there was him. a beer that uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that was after. <laughs> okay, there, there's a uh, there was a beer that I was like, you know, this is an excellent, uh, you know traditional Bach and you know it's it's really fantastic it's you know malty and you know it's really done well and they're like oh there's no alcohol in it eh? you know this is horrible even like 20 points I'm like no 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 oh, you know, I had like you know 48 points on the thing wow and they, they were like in the 20s these two two yahoos I was judging with <laughs> and um, I'm like no this is this is this is like a, a, a fantastic version of the style and uh, you know, like no, no, no. And then they said, "Well, they go, all right. You know, we're you have to pass the beers on to a mini right. best of show." And they're like, "Well, all right. You know, we'll pass this one on this one." And they go, "Well, you know, what about that one you really liked?" And I must, I get, I must admit, I, these guys weren't so bad. They, they were like, "Okay, you know, the, there's one that you really liked, and if you want to send it on to the mini best of show, you know, we should." Okay. And I'm like, "All right. Well, you know, I appreciate that because I think it's like the best thing we had." Right. They're like, nah, you know, what does this guy know? Yeah. So uh goes on to the mini best show. What does it get? Like first place. There you go. Because the other judge is like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Right. There you, you go. Know, it doesn't have to have was, on, on it was really yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Huh. There and and that's that's the thing about all big beers. Yeah. I think is missing uh, that most uh amateur brewers and a lot of pro brewers really miss. They really don't understand. And you know, they they think that if a beer is supposed to be bigger, you should have like some alcohol character to it. Right. Well, it should, it'll be there, but it doesn't have to be. It should be as subtle as possible. Right. So, if a beer should have ten percent alcohol, okay, that's fine. But the character of it should be as subtle as possible. I'm not saying don't have ten percent alcohol in it. Yeah. But if you do, it should be like you don't even taste it. You should drink it. And you're like sitting beer. there getting ready to take your next sip, and you get this warm feeling come over you. On your chest, yeah. You're like, oh, wow. Right. This has some alcohol. So it takes, you know, 20, 30 seconds before you're saying, oh, that's got some alcohol to it, doesn't it? Sure. You shouldn't taste it. It shouldn't taste like, uh, you know, nail polish remover or lighter fluid or any of that stuff. And I taste that all the time, you know, on bigger beers. Mm. You know, proper yeast, uh, you know, uh, amounts... Proper fermentation temperature, right amount of oxygenation, things like that will control those those hot alcohols okay. and make a huge difference. In, and fermentation temperature and pitching rate, it's all it's all interrelated. Yeah, they affect each other. Well, and I, I think I told the story on one of the other shows. Pretty I was sure. talking about Chad uh, here, who's making excellent beer. Right. Really, you know, some fantastic beers. He had a run of beers where they all had this this hot, fusely, nail polish alcohol to them. Okay. And I'm like, uh, you know, what was your fermentation temperature? What was your pitching rate? You know, it was under pitching a little bit. Uh-huh. 
he's compensating by adding a lot of oxygen. Like how long was he O2 in there? He was going like in a full blast for a couple of minutes. And I didn't think it was really that possible to over-oxygenate. But if you com- you combine a, a lower pitching rate and a lot of oxygen, um, what happens is you get a, r- a huge amount of growth out of the yeast. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to produce those, those hot alcohols. So what he did was I told him, you know, cut the amount of oxygen in half. Apparently he did. Problem gone. No shit. And, wow. you know, it makes a huge difference. And I'm like, oh, you got to be really careful. I think I well, just, over the years, kind of dialed in my amount of oxygen, uh-huh. which was about half of what he was using. Right. And sure never enough, you know, I never had a problem. Right. I didn't even think about it. Right. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm in my zone. I'm not going to change it because, you know, <laughs> everything else is working. And, you know, it's related to how much yeast you pitch, your fermentation temperature, the work gravity, a lot of different work temperature. Mm-hmm. All those things interplay. Sure. So I can't just say, oh. Use this amount of oxygen without knowing, you know, the other four, you know, elements of the the equation. Uh-huh. I can't say use this much yeast without knowing your other elements of the equation. You know, the best you can do is kind of um, just assume people are doing the average thing, right? Temperature, yeast pitching, oxygen, all this stuff, right? And if they are, then you know this should work for you. That yeah. should work for you. But if it's not, and if you're getting these hot alcohols, and you're controlling your fermentation temperature, and you're pitching the right amount of yeast, mm-hmm. try backing off on the amount of oxygen. Okay. Or you increase the amount of oxygen, or something. You know, mm-hmm. play with one one aspect of those. You know, four things that are interrelated, mm-hmm. and see if you can control that aspect of it. Because that's where it's coming from. It's coming from fermentation. Sure. It's not coming from mashing. It's not coming from all that other stuff. It's coming from, from the fermentation okay. aspect of which is. You know, you and I both uh, agree, I think, is... Uh, everything. You know, the fermentation is, is pretty much everything in yeah. there. Well, that dispels a myth. Like, I hear a lot of homebrewers say, well, if you over O2, it's just going to go away. It's just not going to be absorbed. It's just going to, you know, evaporate right. off or fermentate, blow off. Blow yeah, off. Yeah, right. But, obviously, maybe his yeast pitching rate was minimal enough where he was growing so much that all these esters were creating these fusel alcohols. Who knows? Yeah, it's amazing. It makes you think. <laughs> right, right. You're full of, here you go. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> All these little tips. Oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah, well, hey, hey that's, that's, that's what, what I'm here, here for. Awesome. <laughs> huh. You know, I you, I brewed a Doppelbach a couple of years ago, and uh-huh. I had that problem with mine. You know, I yeah. thought it, it should be drier, it should be bigger and bolder, hotter alcohol, and, and I ended up adding, like, some corn sugar to the fermenter just mm-hmm. to kind of dry it out. I'm like, 10... 25 OG or f- specific gravity final, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, no. I need to get it drier, and I got it down like 10, 15, but it ruined the beer because mm-hmm. it lost all its body, all its mouthfeel, and everything. So, right, right. And yep. if you just keep it the way it is, it's brewing. Mm-hmm. It's much better beer. Yeah, yeah. You have a description for us, uh, Doppelbach? Yeah. Where do you begin? The Doppelbach. Begin with aroma. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate it. Helping you out there. California tour. Anyways, um, a Doppelbach, definitely a rich multi beer. Um, darker versions will have uh, stronger melanoidins, um, toastier aromas, more hints of plums or prunes, and some chocolate aromas. Uh, the lighter versions um, will have some presence of melanoidins, less fruit aromas, and um, very little hop character. But if it's dark or light, no matter what, these are definitely strong multi beers with some kick in them. Uh, visually, they can range from gold to dark brown uh, with some ruby highlights. 
Um, they're clear from long lagering processes. Uh, they have an off-white tan-colored head, um, and the higher alcohol ones will may impair head retention. And I have I'm just kind of curious why that happens, and maybe you can answer that later. Uh, the flavors are definitely rich and malty. I mean, rich, rich, rich and malty. Um, age versions, like I said, will have plum, raisins, prunes, um, hints of chocolate on the palate. Uh, there'll be a warming alcohol that you're talking about after you drink it. Um, minimal hop flavor and definitely a balanced malty beer. Uh, but overall, it's just a rich, warming, dark lager uh, with an emphasis on maltiness. So, mm-hmm. And they age really, really well. And I noticed after about a year in the bottle, it's like that's when it's really presentable. It's like it's a right. sweet spot. Good, good long lagering period makes mm, yeah. makes a difference in this. A couple of things I want to emphasize. Um, can't remember what they are, but I wanted to emphasize them while you're saying uh, <laughs> the aging or the the color or uh, fruit characters. I don't know. You want to go back wins. over that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maltiness. Maltiness. There you go. Thank you. Your middle name, buddy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's my name. Don't forget it. Yeah. Uh, this is a beer. Now, when we talk about maltiness, we're talking about, uh, you know, generally when we talk about maltiness, we're talking about the malt flavors. We're talking about, you know, uh, grainy, bready, toasty, biscuity. Uh, you know, burnt breads, all those melanoidin flavors. Mm-hmm. Talk, that's what we're talking about for for maltiness. The flavor that comes from the you know husks of the grains, right? Maltiness. Mm-hmm. There is also malty sweetness, and a lot of times people think equate maltiness with malty sweetness, and that's a different thing altogether. Malty sweetness is. You know, uh, the sugars that come from the grains, the starches of the grains, right. they get converted to sugars via the enzymatic reactions in the mash, or, you know, which is what makes up your extract. And that malty sweetness uh, is a different component altogether than maltiness, which, uh, you know, the malty flavors. Definitely. So there's a fine line, def- yeah. but they're definitely two separate things. Yes, and they're related in a way, but... Um, they complement yeah, each other. Yeah, you could have a dry beer that has no malty sweetness and has plenty of maltiness, malty flavor. You could have a beer that has lots of malt sweetness, but no malty flavor, no maltiness, no malty flavors. I mean, it's possible to have either one of those. Okay. So, obviously, they're independent. Sure. In Doppelbach, it's a, it's a beer that has... Huge amounts of you know maltiness, multi flavors, but uh, you know it also has some multi sweetness, and a multi sweetness is is uh, an appropriate part of this style. Okay, so the balance is sweet, the hops are restrained, mm-hmm. no hop flavor, no hop aroma, just enough bitterness to keep it from from being overly sweet kind of balance some of the sweetness you don't want to have a huge amount of residual sweetness in this that you're trying to fight with the the hops to try and balance out i mean you got to dry it out enough so you're getting down around in the uh you know six plato or so you know range and then your hops can balance it right if you're at uh you know 10 plato 15 Plato, 16 Plato right. of, uh, you know, uh, residual sugars, you you can't balance that with hops. I mean, you can, but it's more of a 
you know, it becomes syrupy mm-hmm. with a real bitter element to it. And it just doesn't, it's not very drinkable. All German beers, highly drinkable. Whether it's, uh, you know, a, uh, Hellas. a, a Helles or yeah. a, a, a Pilsner, you know, Hef. Yeah. Hef, or a Doppelbach, you should be able to drink a liter of it. Whoa. Amen. Yes, you should. <laughs> hey, I got a buddy of mine out in uh, uh, in uh, Kansas, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Mm-hmm. I've seen that guy put down like six liters of uh, of the uh, the uh, Maybach at uh, Gordon Beers. Wow, he's probably a little hammered afterwards too. Oh, we both were. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna sit there and watch him the whole time. <laughs> Somehow we made it back. I don't know, but you know, he, good time. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking like the uh, the Meritzen or the Schwartz beer or something. He was drinking the Bach. Yeah, that's a great beer. Their Spring Bach or whatever they call yeah. it. <laughs> but you know, by a liter, you could drink a liter of that. Yeah. Easy, right? You know, and that's a that's a well made you know Bach beer. It's yeah. drinkability. Yeah, Very any important. German beer. It has to have drinkability. It's all about the drinkability, no matter what style it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, a big, important part of it. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into the recipe and all that. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> oh, crap. It's the hop shortage. He's in the basement. Oh, please. My triple decocted imperial pilsner. It's all gone. We'll never brew again. Damn this hop shortage. Damn it to hell. Boss is lost. Hop shortage? Who are you guys? Ich bin Doppelbock. Ich bin Kölsch. Und ich bin Münchener Helles. We don't need a lot of hops to be delectable. Now brew something. Malzi. Use less hops, brew more beer. Northern Brewer has kits and ingredients for dozens of worldwide beer styles that don't require a lot of hops to make a great pint. Like the cool blonde Kolsch or the ponderously bottom-heavy Doppelbach. Keep drinking great beer. Order at northernbrewer.com and get flat rate $7.99 shipping anywhere in the contiguous U.S. One beer kit, $7.99 shipping. One million beer kits, $7.99 shipping. Together we can beat this hop shortage. Mm Mm-hmm. Now get brewing! Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as seven cents a day. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. White Labs is a leader in pure yeast and fermentation services, serving the beer, wine, and distilling industries from worldwide producers for more than a decade. 
White Labs has three all-new vials for you to pitch this year, home brewers. So fire up your kettles, fill up your fermenters, and get ready for Cry Havoc, the signature yeast strain from Charlie Papazian. This yeast can ferment both ales and lagers and is great for bottle conditioning, too. Second, a cream ale blend of ale and lager yeast strains. This blend creates a clean, crisp, light American lager-style ale. Last, a Belgian-style Saison ale yeast blend. This blend melds Belgian-style ale yeast and Saison strains to create complex, fruity aromas and flavors. Get complete fermentation quickly with this blend's spicy, earthy, and clove-like flavors. White Labs, your brewing partner for great yeast. These new strains are available now for home brewers, breweries, and homebrew shops everywhere. White Labs, it's all in the vial. A little miffed. You're pissed. Chad comes in, oh. has no beer, and you're just whining your ass off. Yeah, I was fine. I was fine till Chad showed up. Yeah. You know, he's supposed to have fine beer on for me all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's part of my contract yeah. with well, the Brewing Chronicle. Right? Yeah. And he has nothing for you to drink. As part of my contract with the Brewing Network, that I have fine. Although, I must admit, Justin, he like, okay. He's selling your book. The talent, the talent's getting a little uh, panties in a wad. Yeah, I'll go walk him over to the fridge and show him where the bottled beer is. Lisey, their hands. Lisey has beer. Yes, that's oh, important. There was there was something to get me by. I got water in my trunk. <laughs> you got water in your trunk. Something. Well, I got Coors Light. If you're gonna drink that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the peeing and got so, some color. Yeah, no, I had to. I had to just ream Chad a new one. And he's out getting an IPA keg he's, yesterday. He's probably like spitting in my beer for that. Yeah, he's just gonna go cry to Tasty. <laughs> yeah, you'll hear it from Tasty. Hey, yeah, what Tasty are you yelling at my boy for? Punch, punch me in the junk <laughs> next time I see him. <laughs> yeah, that would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> from experience, I can tell you it does. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes it does. I ran into my jungle once on a ball valve in the kettle. I wonder if that's what they call it, a ball <laughs> Probably. Oh, man. That sucks being a short guy that you're, yeah, that you're, that you're at ball valve level, actually, <laughs> is what I'm thinking. It was that, my, that would it was be my, my knee. It was my mash tun, just a little, but yeah, short guy. But oh, man. I thought I'd share that. The ball valve. Yeah, yeah. yeah new, See, new meaning. It does. We've got to get T-shirts made for John and his ball valve now. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Wow. Oh, this show's already gone. <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah, it is a little sweet. You need to dry out a little bit more. I like my, my IPAs fairly dry. Like, yeah. Um, you know, 21st Amendment, they got a nice dry IPA. I mean, it's still got some sweetness to it, but, uh, you know, it's really good. I like I like it in the can. Is that the Munich? <laughs> yeah, you do. That gives it a little sweetness? That's what the San Francisco guys were saying. Yeah. All the brewers. Uh, but, uh, you know, attenuated more. <laughs> right, no, exactly, but... <clears throat> I don't suppose you two want to tell the listeners what the hell you're talking about. Liking it in the can? <laughs> The, the Mel- IPA. Mel- IPA, yeah. Chad's IPA. Yeah. 
There you go. Thank you. Sorry. Clarification. Are they confused? Yeah. They got to follow along. They got to be a little quicker than that. You started right in the middle of I the know. conversation. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you just started with the, with a beer in your hand. Hey, well, hey, if they can't keep up, hey, <laughs> they don't have ESP. I mean, that's the way it goes. All right, recipe, recipe. All right, uh, OG ten eighty six, final gravity ten twenty, and the only reason I'm bumping this up to an eighty six is because. Um, you want to? No, oh. again, it's, you know, the judges are expecting, oh, and, you know, a lot of homebrewers are expecting, I want it, you know, they've got to taste the alcohol. It's got to be real, real alcoholic. So, you know, you can go down to like a 1072 as you're starting gravity, and you're just fine. And, you know, that would be more like a, a commercial bar. example. People want a little bit bigger, a little bit maltier than most commercial examples they can get. Okay. 1086, final gravity about 1020, uh... Fermentation, you're going to attenuate about 75 percent. 24 IBU, 18 SRM. It's going to give you about 8.7 percent ABV. Wow, we're getting yeah, as much. Yeah. The trick here is, like I was saying, you know, make that alcohol, you know, mellow. You know, uh, go pitch plenty of yeast. Control your fermentation temperatures. You know, right amount of oxygen, and you won't it, you won't taste the alcohol. You'll feel it, but you won't taste it. And and that's what you want. That's the trick. That's what you want. Okay. And you want judges that know the know the difference. That's important. All right. For extract brewers, you want uh, you got to use some Munich liquid malt extract, ten point four pounds, four point seven one kilograms, and some Pilsner uh, liquid malt extract, uh, three pounds or one point three six kilograms. If what your homebrew and that's with a hundred percent Munich extract. Uh, Fireman makes one really nice. It's mm-hmm. decocted and everything. Mm-hmm. It's a real good product. If your homebrew shop only sells a uh, a Munich extract that's a blend, this is a perfect beer to just use that blend. Okay. Okay. You can just go ahead and uh, you know use the Munich extract straight. Straight up. Just instead of using Munich and Pilsner, you would use thirteen point four pounds of the Munich blended extract. Okay. And you're all set. Okay. If you are a uh, all grain brewer, you are going to use uh, four pounds of a continental or 1.8 uh, kilograms of uh, continental pilsner malt, and you're going to use 14 pounds or th- 6.35 kilograms of Munich malt, and you mash that at uh, 155 degrees Fahrenheit, 68 degrees C. Nice. If you're an extract brewer, you can boil 60 minutes. If you're an all grain brewer, you're going to go with a 90 minute boil. Because of the Pilsner malt. Boil right, off the DMS. Boil off the DMS, right? Does that help with um, melanoidin formation, too? I mean, Yeah, a longer boil does actually develop a little bit more melanoidins. Okay. And, uh, Richer color, maybe, too? Or? Yeah, it's really very minor. Oh, okay. And uh, I know there was always this, this thing about, uh, uh, you know, long boils give you, you know, this, you know, more darkening of the wort and all that. Mm-hmm. It's really very, Subtle. very minor. Unless okay. you're boiling the snot out of it for a long time, it, it doesn't really darken up that much. There's more darkening from concentrating uh, than there is from color formation from the boil itself. Okay. Unless you're burning the stuff, you know, somehow. Right. If you're doing you know, like a blowtorch on it. Sure. <laughs> um, the color the, the color development is generally just from the concentration of the, the liquid. Okay. Which is uh, an interesting thing. And... Uh, uh, let's see here. 
the other especially grains you're going to use Caramunic, 60 love uh, 2 pounds or 0.9 kilogram and that's it that's Oops. simple that's yeah, all you need up. in there yeah and uh, I, I I brewed this and I think just recently I got first place in the second round of the national uh, with this this recipe with a doppelbach last year yeah oh right on and um Previous year or this year, I don't know when. It, uh, previous year, uh, Joe Formanek judged it out in uh, wherever he lives. I don't know, out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Chicago area type of thing. And uh, he gave forty nine points. He said, you know, I can't believe the maltiness. How do you get this intense maltiness? It's you know, uh, it's a really good beer and it's really malty. It's you know, maltier than any. Uh, you know, get that malty flavor uh, uh, more so than any commercial example I've ever had. <laughs> How old was it? Oh, I don't know. The one I entered is probably five years old. <laughs> I don't know, four years old. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, you know this this really huge, rich, malty, uh, mm. melanoidin rich uh, flavor, and the alcohol is real subtle. Mm. And uh, you know the judges uh, this this last year, uh, real respect to Judge Master Judge from uh, I can't even think of his name from Montana, Wyoming, uh, Cheyenne, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, I think he's from Cheyenne. Anyways, uh, he was talking with me. He's a master judge and uh, you're a real, real great uh, judge, real great palate. And he was, uh, I just happened to be talking to him and you know asked him what he judged in the afternoon. He goes, "Oh, Doppelbox or box." And he said, "There was this one Doppelbox, just incredible, <laughs> really, just this most fantastic beer. It is excellent." I'm like, "Eh, must not be mine, <laughs> right?" Yeah, it turned out to be mine, of course. But uh, the interesting thing is. Uh, you know the same beer uh, last year in the second round. It got like twenty points. Same exact, weird. Yeah, same exact beer. And, and you know it's it's just the, the luck of the draw on the judges. You know you get judges. You, you, you get judges <laughs> like you know. Uh, I can't think of his name. I don't know why. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, anyways, Master Judge, <laughs> you know who you are if you're out there listening. Uh, you know you get him, you get Formanek, you get you get these guys who really know their stuff, and you know you get a beer like this. You know they appreciate the huge maltiness, and that comes strictly from you know a huge amount of uh, Munich malt, a little bit of Pilsner malt, and the Kara Munich, and uh, you know proper fermentation, and that that'll do it. That's wow. all you need, and you can get uh, quite a. Quite the intense because the the Munich malt has a huge amount of melanoid. Sure, you use a good quality Munich malt, right? Uh, let's see here, hops. I like uh, Halitauer, uh, Halitau, Halitau. Four uh, percent alpha acid, sixty minutes, an ounce and a half, forty three grams. Twenty gives you about twenty one IBUs using the Rager formula, and then uh, you can do a half ounce addition, fourteen grams. Uh, around 30 minutes, give it a little bit of background flavor. <laughs> and one of the reasons I do this is I want just a trace of background hot flavor, which will drop out if you, if you just do if you just do a yeah a, a 60 minute edition. Um, you know, by the time this is a year old, it's gone. Yeah, the the flavor is really kind of dropped off. So it's yeah, a little bit of a flavor addition uh, doesn't hurt to give it just kind of a subtle background. Okay. Preserves it. Nice. As far as uh, yeast, I like to ferment with uh, either uh, the Y yeast 2206 Bavarian Lager or the White Labs WLP 833 German Bach Lager. Mm. Great strain. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that that uh, that yeast. Uh, if you're using a dry yeast, you're going to use the uh, Soft Lager S23, or there's um, you know uh, other dry yeasts. There's uh, 3470. There's you know a variety of dry lager yeasts, and you can use any of those. Uh, problem with those, they tend to be real sulfury, real bready. I, I don't really care for them a lot, but if that's all you can get, no you can do it. Uh, when you're using those dry yeasts, I actually think you need to ferment a little warmer with those. Just to vent off the sulfur? Yeah. Yeah. You need a much more active fermentation. You'll get a little bit more esters in there but uh-huh. and a little hotter alcohol, but I think it's a small price to pay to kind of vent off all that sulfur and... Uh, so if you're using a dry yeast, I'd go a little warmer than I, I usually do. For me... What do you mean warmer, like 55 versus 48? Or? Well, when I do it with liquid yeast, what I do is I build up my, my pitch of yeast, and then I will uh, chill the wort down to about 43, 44 degrees Fahrenheit. I'll pitch my yeast, and then I'll let the yeast carry it up over the first day or two to um, 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees C. Okay. And then I'll carry out the fermentation that way. Okay. And what that does is it you know, reduces the amount of uh, precursors for diacetyl. It uh, you know, keeps the growth in control, and you get a nice uh, you know mellow alcohol out of it. And you don't get any hot hotness in that. If you were doing a dry yeast, I'd probably up that temperature by at least five degrees Fahrenheit or um, you know two degrees C. And would you leave it there C. the whole time? You know, five, 55 degrees from uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. you would. Okay. Now, you're not worried that's because I start low and I, I build up and I okay. p- pitch a proper amount of yeast. Sure. If you're not doing that, if you're taking a tube and you're starting warm, um, you really don't want to drive the temperature down too far because you're going to end up with uh, more diacetyl. Or if you do that, if you do something along those lines, uh, you know, really what you need to do is a diacetyl rest then. Right. So at the end of fermentation, you're going to jack the temperature up by about 10 degrees Fahrenheit or 5 degrees C over what your previous temperature was. Okay. And hold it there for a day or two and okay. let the yeast you know, reabsorb that diacetyl. And you should really do that kind of around the last third of fermentation. Okay. You don't really want to wait to the very end. All the yeast got dormant and then, you know, you jack the temperature up. Sometimes you'll get Might some a- enough activity out of it. Right. It'll take a little bit longer. It's better when the yeast are still fermenting towards the end sure. to do this. And do you and, recommend uh, that, to do diacetyl rest for all lagers? Or? If if you're fermenting the way I do, you don't need a diacetyl rest. I don't do any diacetyl rest. Sure. I, you know, again, I pitch a proper amount of yeast at 43 or 40 degree, 44 degrees Fahrenheit, and then I let it ramp up to 50 and ferment out there. Uh-huh. And there's no diacetyl. There's no esters. There's no... I mean, there are, there's traces of everything in every beer. Right. But... Um, no. The result is is really nice, and you don't need really a diacetyl cool. rest. You go right, I go right to a keg and you know, start serving. Okay, you, know, you don't need a long lagering period or anything. Okay. Although it it helps in a beer like this. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about this and how how uh, you know nice long lagering period. Well, how long helps. are you lagering this? I mean, four to six weeks in the primary, or well, in the primary, uh, you know, I go until the thing's done, until I see no activity whatsoever, and then I leave it a few extra days. And well, that usually on a beer like this is going to take at least two weeks. Well, a lot of homebrewers don't more. screw around with lagers. I mean, how do you know when it, you I mean you can take a gravity reading, but if you're just doing it visually, you know, I mean, the Croizen is a lot different than an ale. Right. You know, so. yeah, we're not going to see a huge Croizen okay. uh, on this. Okay. Once, you know, the airlock stops moving all totally all together. No, no more airlock movement whatsoever. Okay. 
and the thing appears to be like totally dead, and all the yeast looks like it's flocculated to the bottom. And you're good. Give it a couple more days. Okay. And then you're done. Okay. That's good. that's the way I do it. Good tip. Yeah, because then you're certain. Right. It doesn't hurt to give it a couple extra days. Right. You know, and then then you're done. You don't have any, uh, you know, um, uh, acetaldehyde, things like that. Sure. That Bakke's, too, that attenuates out really well. Mm -hmm. It's really clean. Mm -hmm. Right, and you should be able to get, you know, a good 75% attenuation on this. Okay. Hmm. It's a... you know, a good, a good, uh, and and you could use pretty much any any of the lager yeasts. Some of them will be a little more funky than others, but uh, you know the mainstream, uh, the eight thirty, uh, any of the you know mainstream German lager yeasts are are a good choice. Okay. All right. So when we come back from break, we will go over questions from the chat room, and uh, I know John, you had some really good questions. Yes. So. We'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Sean O'Sullivan, the brewmaster and co-founder of the 21st Amendment Brewery and Restaurant in San Francisco. Six years ago, Nico Frecci and I opened the 21st Amendment on 2nd Street with the intent of bringing back the local neighborhood brew pub. Well, the neighborhood has really changed over the years, but the 21st Amendment still remains a great place for people to meet over a terrific meal and a tasty pint of beer. In the past, the only way you could enjoy the 21st Amendment's handcrafted beers was at the brew pub. Well, all that has changed. Now, the 21st Amendment beers are available in Canada. That's right, cans. When was the last time you had a great beer in a can? Well, that day has come. We're offering our world-famous watermelon wheat and 21A IPA in cans. Cans are a better package than glass because cans keep the beer fresher, longer, but you can also take cans to places where bottles can't go, like the beach, lake, golf courses, and sporting events. So join us in the revolution to take back the can from the big breweries and crack open a cold 21A craft beer in a can. The 21st Amendment, 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Did you know that you can not only order from More Beer online at morebeer.com and receive free shipping on most orders over $59, but you can also shop in person at their two retail locations located in Concord and Riverside, California. In fact, the Concord facility has grown to over 15,000 square feet to fit all the new products, expanded showroom, and new knowledge center classroom. And now, in conjunction with the Brewing Network, More Beer is making it easier than ever to keep up on what's happening. Download the More Beer monthly podcast by clicking podcast at morebeer.com. You'll learn about More Beer's history, sales and discounts on More Beer products, get to know team members, and hear ways to save you money. They're also launching a brand new website soon with more features and a better online shopping experience. So go to morebeer.com or call 800-600-0033. That's 800-600-0033. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. And now, back to the Jameel Show. Hey, we're back. You know... Two hours just keep whizzing by. They do go by. Yeah. A month goes by. Yeah. I, I think. I, I think. I think we're gonna have to like double up, change the show length to two hours. Damn. Just not enough time to drop all these pearls of wisdom. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> here the here you goes. <laughs> the here you go. The thing is. The thing is. Yes. Right. Not the here you goes. The thing is. The thing is, we probably have some questions from the chat room or. 
You do. A lot of people talking about this beer. Seems to be a lot of different options with the ingredients in this beer, and that's what we got questions about mostly, even when you're saying uh, certain things uh, specifically. Uh, so, for example, a person said that Weyermann has Caramunic 1, 2, and 3. Do you have a preference of any one of those, for example? Yes. Okay. Uh, the one that's closest to 60 Love. Okay. So on any, uh, whatever the brand is, closest to 60. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, really, that tends to be more important than the brand. Okay. And then with the Munich malt, preference yes. between dark or light Munich malt. Ah, there's the rub. Ooh. Uh, you know, the darker the Munich malt, the more melanoid and rich it's going to be, the more maltiness, the malty flavors it's, it's going to have. You can... Go, you know, there's Munich malt from like, you know, 6 love to 20 love, you know, either extreme. I kind of like to be around in the 8 to 12 love bond range. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's really kind of the sweet spot where, um, you know, the, the lighter Munich malts, they don't have enough of that, you know, maltiness flavor. And uh, even in a beer with all Munich malt, like a, like a, uh, Munich Dunkel. If you go six six love, just not enough. It's it tends to be a little more bland. You get up in the eight and twelve love bond range that that tends to provide enough maltiness. If you get past that, it can get a little intense. And uh, you know the the thing I hear from back from some judges is oh you know it's vegetal and it's just in a really intense maltiness and they get a little confused. Uh, I've come across that sometimes too. Interesting. So, uh, you know, 8 to 12 Love Bond is about about right. You can experiment around there, but that's kind of where, where I target it. All right. Um, question about whether or not uh, melanoidin malt is better than, just as good as, worse than doing a decoction mash. Yeah, I, I think, you know, decoction really applies very little that you can't get out of, you know, melanoidins from some other you know, melanoid malt or whatever. I, I don't do decoction mashes anymore. It's not worth my time. Okay. Uh, another listener wanted to know, uh, is is this a beer that's better to bottle than keg? And I don't know if there's any beers that are better to bottle than keg, but I thought it was an interesting question. Hmm. I, mean, I, wonder, question. I wonder if he was just thinking about for aging, you know, because you could hang on to the bottles. But Yeah, you know, I, I personally, I don't uh, bottle condition anything. It all goes in a keg, and then you know, once once I want to get rid of the keg to make room in the keg fridge, I'll put it in bottles and then throw it in the walk-in cooler. Okay. And uh, you know, I, I I prefer everything in a keg. Mm. Just like I like better. it in the can, I like it in the keg. Exactly. It's all aluminum. <laughs> uh, okay. Talking about fusel alcohols and hot alcohols earlier. Um, someone wanted to know if that hot alcohol sensation you get from big beers, is that only from fus- from fusels? Uh, you know, that, that kind of hot flavor, can that come from ingredients or, or something else in the process also? Or is that just fusels? That's, that's alcohols. Just yeah. a, a high alcohol part. That's yeah. all it is yeah. when you get that heat. Yeah. Okay. Well, unless, uh, you know, it depends on how people relate to heat. If they're talking about, like, capsaicin from peppers, if you put, like, you know, chili peppers in there, 
That's hot. And you're feeling some heat. Yeah. That's probably the chili pepper. No, he definitely meant, you know, in high alcohol, alcohol beers. Sure. Yeah, it's it's the alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, here's some kind of long-winded questions maybe we can cover a little bit. But uh listener wanted me to ask you about Krausening a lager. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, re- referring to Noonan, who mentions that krausening a lager just prior to the end of fermentation right. aids in the conditioning process. And have you done this? Uh, what, you know, do you think it makes a difference? Yeah, you know, y- you can do that. And if it's you know just at the end of fermentation, if let's say you've you've you're down in San Jose for a week and you can't can't get back to your beer, and it's sat there and it's gone past the end of fermentation, it's done, and you want to reabsorb uh, diacetyl, acetaldehyde, you, know, you want to convert any of those over. Uh, you know, coisening is uh, really uh, a good way to go because you add that back, you know, the actively fermenting wort, and uh, you know, get that to uh, uh, clean you know, it up, clean it up, finish yeah. it up, right? So. Uh, you know, you can get a little more activity back into the beer and finish that up. I think it's much easier to, you know, at with a third of fermentation left, just jack up the temperature a little bit. The yeast get a little more active. They'll they'll finish up, and I think that's a an easier way to get the same result. Is there a threshold? I mean, for like a temperature for diacetyl rest. I mean. Do you go 75 or do you go 60? I mean, uh, generally just 10 degrees Fahrenheit or 5 degrees C over you what at. your previous temperature was. Okay. So whatever you ferment it at, you know, just jack it up 10 degrees over that. Okay. All right. And a last one that maybe we can get to a little bit. You were talking about maltiness in the beginning of the show, and uh, a listener sees a lot of discussion and confusion about, you know, the term maltiness. Um, is it just a product of the grain bill? Does mash temperature have effect on it? Step mashing, single infusion. I mean, is all of this a part of the different types of maltiness you were talking about in the beginning? You know, some folks believe that, uh, you know, it does have some effect I I really don't. I think that uh you know, well, you know, some people say, well, you know, all that step mashing through the various steps, you know, that's going to increase maltiness. I, I I don't know, maybe. But uh if you're single infusion mashing and you have a beer at, you know, 149 and you have a beer at 158, the maltiness, the malt Flavor, the you know, bready, biscuity, uh, toasty, all that melanoid stuff is not going to change. It's a product of the grains, and the mashing is really just converting. You know, it's it's steeping the the the, the grain husks. It's um, you know, converting the starches to sugar, and uh, you know, you're not going to increase maltiness, uh, the malty flavors. You may increase, you know, mouthfeel which some people relate to sweetness and some unfermentable sugars that could be slightly sweet and people may say it's more malty sweet uh, with more mouthfeel and all that, Uh, you know. But, you know, the malty flavors, no. Hmm. Uh, You know, and uh, I know Ray Daniels, same thing. So I'll I'll, I'll throw you a reference. Look at Designing Great Beers and, you know, you argue it with Ray if, if you think that's not really correct, but it's, I really don't believe it's not. It, it doesn't doesn't do anything other than change the uh, mouthfeel and the, the, you know, the unfermentable sugars. I think homebrew brewers could debate that 
for years. Yeah, but, you know, you know it's like first word hopping and all that stuff. And all, <laughs> you know, I've actually done side by side tests on these things. And, you know, for me, I've proven it to myself. So, hmm. you know, that's just the way I go. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there discussing it on the internet, a lot of discussion, like the uh, listener says. And it's discussion amongst people who have never just tried it. Right. You know, just try it. You know, control all the other... That's the other thing. People go, well, I brewed a batch a year ago that was this way. And I brewed a batch yesterday that was this way. And, you know, oh, they taste nothing, you know. It made a huge difference. It's like, well, yeah, because your brewing changed over a year. (laughs) Your memory's different, you know. Try and make it the same day, everything the same except for the one little change and see what the difference is and do blind testing with other people, do triangle taste tests, and then see if you how much of a difference you ta- detect and if it's really, you know, what you anticipated. Yeah. I don't see why they have to be blind people. <laughs> the blind people have yeah. better senses. It's like they can become super with their hearing. Yeah. You didn't know that? <laughs> taste. It's true. Take a sense away. Yeah, the one's heightened. Yeah, okay. One's, yeah. That is it from the chat, although it was busy tonight. Everyone's uh, hanging out and enjoying the shows. Awesome. Drinking. Yeah. Yes, doing that also. And John, you had some good, I, some good I questions. Do. I do. The use of Munich malt, how does it add a fruitiness to a beer? Supposedly, I mean, in the guidelines, it was talking about that a Munich malt can add an impression of fruitiness. Or. Yes, and I think they're talking about like the plum, raisin, things like that. Okay, right. So that's from that's what I thought. But is right. that over because it's aging and those malt flavors are giving impressions of fruitiness? Yes, and I think that you know it's a it's a combination of um, you know alcohols and malts and sugars and you know yeast character and you know things like that. It all comes together in in a certain impression. Okay, and I I think that's maybe what they're talking about. Okay. Uh, why do uh, high alcohols ruin head retention? Ah, interesting. Yeah. There was, uh, you know, some pro brewer somewhere who just recently, uh, maybe in the last year or two, did a test. And he took some grain alcohol and added it to beer, and it did nothing to head retention. He goes, you know, why do we believe that head retention is affected by high alcohol high. percentage? Right. And I gotta admit, I I don't really think it is. I think uh, uh, you know if you get some of these Belgian beers that have uh, you know high alcohol True. and are very thin, dry beers as well, right? They'll have huge. You know, you get like a couple of inches, you know, of true. foam that won't go away. Okay, right, right. And you get the yeah. Belgian lace and stuff like that. Yeah, high That's alcohol. High. Yeah, like you Google, can get you, know. uh, you can get a uh, mild, an English mild uh-huh. that really has no head whatsoever sure okay so it's, it's, it's dependent on a yeah. lot of different things okay uh versus um you know alcohol it's not just alcohol and i think that you know there there's there's something else in there i think there the study of head mm-hmm. is uh it's a good study <laughs> something that i like to study at every chance i get sure that is um you know, one that uh, is is very complex and uh, you know, related to a lot of different factors, and so I don't think I don't think it necessarily does. But that has been kind of the you know the popular conception that high alcohol beers don't have uh, good head retention. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, you know, I was trying Chaz Doppelbach here, and last time I tried this was like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like that cloying sweetness that he had a couple months ago has kind of gone away a little bit. I mean, it seems a little drier to me. Um, does age, you know, help, you know, as things kind of mellow out and round out and lager longer? Does sweetness kind of go away? Um, yeah, generally, uh, longer a beer sits, the sweeter it gets. Okay. So the hop compounds tend to kind of like bind up, fall out, and mm-hmm. uh, drop. Okay. And so bitterness d- decreases over time, and so sw- it, the beer tends to get sweeter. Same thing with oxidation. Oxidation tends to make some of the uh, compounds in the beer uh, taste kind of sweeter. Okay. Hmm. Um. The only reason that a beer would dry out over time is... Still fermenting couple of things it's fermenting and it may not be fermenting with the initial yeast that was provided oh could be a wild yeast those will keep going it could be you know brett it could be uh you know a bacteria mm-hmm. a pediococcus things like that although in a, in in a beer once you get past eight eight percent or so a lot of the bacteria stop but uh you know bread or something like that will dry it out mm-hmm. so a uh, wild yeast like that can uh can continue to dry a beer has this beer changed to you since you last tried it? I mean, it seems like it has to me. It's aged out and it's mellowed. Yeah, I don't remember what I said last time. <laughs> oh, set you up? <laughs> My bad. Hot. Hot, hot, hot alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Hot. Let's mellow it out a little bit. It's still there, but it's definitely more balanced for sure, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Definitely some age. Not bad. Chad's yeah. good brewer. Oh, hell yeah. He doesn't... Provide me the beers that he uh, claimed he would provide when I brought over the, uh, you know, twenty five hundred dollar conical fermenter. But uh, you know that's okay because I, I really, you know, I don't care for beer that much. That uh, that I would expect beer to be here in the studio. Yeah, never. <laughs> you know, you know, you gotta. But that's all right. That's all right. All right. All right let's get back to <laughs> Have you been brewing lately? Uh, Do you have anything in the fermenter? Uh, <laughs> Anything in the can? Yeah. yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I brewed a, a, a couple of beers, but I, I jacked up my back really bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's been very difficult for me to, uh, you know, do brewing and carry stuff around. But who got you back in the ballgame? You did. Yeah, that's right. I must admit, you were 100% right. Yeah. You suggested uh, one of those carboy bags. Carboy bags with the straps. Yeah. Went down in the showroom. You hooked me up with one of them bad boys. I love it. Nice, fantastic. Got to keep you brewing, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I discovered I can lift the carboy and not not hurt my back. Nice. Even as jacked up as it is, <laughs> as long as you know, I'm like you know, I pull that carboy right up into my junk and yeah. uh, just waddle along with it. Feels Doesn't good, hurt huh? my back at all. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's 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 really really fantastic. And uh, that has allowed me to kind of get back into brewing. Good, good. And now I just need more of those. I need like you know six of them so I can have six fermenters going. We'll ship them to you. There, there you, you go. go. All right, you got my address. There you go. Want to recap the recipe or? Ooh, ooh! I'm supposed to recap the recipe. You can tell I've been uh, enjoying myself here. Yeah. Uh, OG ten eighty six IBU twenty four SRM eighteen. Uh, if you're an extract brewer. 
Munich liquid malt extract. Again, if if you have the blended Munich malt extract, which is a blend of you know Munich and Pilsner or Munich and Turo, just use that straight for 13.4 pounds. If you are uh, getting the 100% Munich from uh, Weirman and a, and another source or two. Uh, 10.4 pounds, 4.71 kilograms of the Munich, and then use a Pilsner uh, liquid malt extract, 3 pounds or 1.36 kilograms. If you're an all-grain brewer, you're going to use 4 pounds of a Continental Pilsner malt, 1.8 kilograms, and 14 pounds, 6.35 kilograms of Munich malt, mashed at 155 degrees Fahrenheit or 68 degrees C. Uh, the other grain that you're going to use, uh, the other specialty grain, is a uh, Karamunic 60 Love, uh, 2 pounds, 0.9 kilograms. Uh, hops, Halitower, 4% alpha acid for 60 minutes, 1.5 ounces, 43 grams. And the same hop at 30 minutes, a half ounce or 14 grams. Ferment with uh, WLP 833 White Labs German Bach Lager Yeast or Y Yeast 2206 Bavarian Lager. If you're dry yeast uh, user, uh, ferment a soft lager S23 or any other dry lager yeast to be fine. Ferment around 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 degrees C. Uh, carbonate about 2.5 volumes. Uh, if you can let that thing lager for at least 6 months, wow. it'll be a better beer. Oh, 6 yeah. months minimum. You can get away with three, three. months, but, you know, t- t- brew as big a batch as you can. Yeah. Resist the, the temptation to drink it all. <laughs> you sample it as you go, and you'll notice a dramatic change, uh, you know, maybe three to six months in that makes it, you know, wow. Oh, wow. This yeah. has really gotten good. A lot of the fines, the really dusty particles will drop to the bottom. Mm-hmm. A lot of the flavors will meld. Oh, yeah. Some of the alcohols will oxidize. Things will happen to the beer. Really fantastic. And if you wait a year, oh my God, uh, you know, that's that's about when it's really you know six months to a year is is really the range, and past that doesn't tend to get yeah. really much better, wow. but tends to still be fine. So you know, brew is big a batch. If you got like the fifty G system like uh, John does, yeah, then uh, you know, it's a lot of Doppelbach. <laughs> we got to do a fifty G a, yeah. a Doppelbach. Damn, that would be that would be intense. It's a liquid orgasm. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I think he stained himself. <laughs> All right, well that's it. Double block. Double block. Hey, go check Twenty uh, First Amendment too. Oh yeah, strong, yeah, yeah. strong beer month. Strong so. beer month. Support Sully, Sean Sullivan, and Magnolia. Uh, yeah, I, I love the Twenty First Amendment. Great place. Great food. Great environment. Great beer. Uh, great, great people. Great people. Waitresses. Great yeah, just a great place to go and uh, enjoy a strong beer month or any time of the year. And you know they got it in the can too. Right. I like it in the can. And they got uh, the Twenty First Amendment IPA and mm. the watermelon wheat. I love the IPA in yeah. the can. And, and Justin has an open tab just charge to his tab yeah yeah just there say you you're go. Justin from the Bruin Network and you'll be set there you go yeah, yeah, they all know me they know what I look like <laughs> <laughs> and they run yes <laughs> pretty strong pretty strong <laughs> <laughs>